And so this one goes out to all the new leaders, um, taking over some of those roles. So my wisdom is if you're stepping into a new leadership role and sort of taking the baton from someone that has been there a long time and holds a legacy, to be patient, um, to listen to those around you and give yourself grace and time to really learn what the history and legacy was about. Um, And then as you start to plan sort of your own time and what it might look like for you, then you can incorporate that respect for the past um, and build it into your future. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios in the Brewery District, south of downtown Columbus, Ohio. Hi, this is Brett. You know, the issues of seniors and the need for senior services continues to grow in our community. And we're very happy to have our friend Katie White with us today. She was named the new agency director of the Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging. In fact, she was here on the podcast like moments before she took the job officially, which is cool. And uh, she's here again to give us a glimpse into COAAA's forward motion. Katie, thanks for being back. Thanks for having me. Sure. It's always wonderful to see you. And thank you for, you know, you're, you're doing a two up here in our in this season for, our, right. um, for our podcast. Um, and we have always learned so much about the aging community and the needs in the aging community whenever you come to see us. You know, in the past, as the director of Age-Friendly Columbus in Franklin County, and the director of the Age-Friendly Innovation Center at Ohio State's School or College of Social Work. That's a mouthful. <laughs> I bet is. your uh, business card was like an 8 by 10 or something. <laughs> <laughs> by six cards. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, right yeah. Exactly. So now you're leading an agency that covers eight counties in central Ohio. So talk about changes. Absolutely. Um, so let's first talk about your journey to this point, your previous work and experiences, and your academic training, because you have a fairly new masters. I do have a fairly new masters. I graduated from my kitchen table alone during the pandemic. It <laughs> yes. was great. It was just how I always imagined it. Yes, especially uh, in social work, right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Did you play some music in the background while you walked around the kitchen? I Pomp didn't, circumstance but I a little might bit, have had a glass of wine. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Off screen. There, there you go. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Got to give yourself something. Yeah. Exactly. So I have a... Um, an interesting career path because it sort of reflects my personality where I like to do a lot of different things. I don't like a ton of repetition. So I've been in a lot of different industries. Um, my first job out of college was actually in logistics because no one knew what a gerontologist did. Um, so then when I was finally able to convince someone in aging to hire me, I managed an Alzheimer's unit in an assisted living. Then I did a couple of years in geriatric home health. Then I worked at the Alzheimer's Association, working with education in the rural counties and support groups, working with people with early onset. That then took me to Village Connections, where I helped launch the first village in town. And it was at a conference that I heard about age-friendly communities while working for the village um, network. And so brought that to town, led that for the last seven years. And then really when I heard about Cindy retiring and the job opening, I thought I can really pull together all these different pieces and all the different areas I've been in in aging um, and bring it together and hopefully carry on the legacy that she created. You know, we've known Katie for a long time. I helped her with Age Friendly Columbus when it started, so seven years ago. Um, And I'm only guessing here, but older adults are always concerned about age discrimination hitting them and they're not able to get a job because they're older. Absolutely. When you were 
trying to break into gerontology was it the exact opposite you it's, look like you're 12 and yes, so yes <laughs> and it still is honestly if i had a dollar for every time somebody over my career has said aren't you a little young for this or, exactly and especially in this role um it really is something that i can i can sort of laugh through um but it is. It's a, it's a huge piece of sort of doubting, I think, what mm-hmm. I can do, which is mm-hmm. difficult. And I don't think anybody's really meaning it to be super harmful. But as someone who spent a lot of time thinking about ageism, um, yeah, it is difficult. Right. Because, mm-hmm. it, again, you're being judged on superficial Correct. issues as opposed to anyone really delving in to what your skills are, which is exactly what older adults are dealing with. Yeah. One of my things I have to say all the time on Zoom is if you could see me in person, I have a very wrinkly forehead. OK, I'm older than I look. Zoom makes me look even younger. Like I have wrinkles. OK, and I earn them. So, <laughs> well, it, it, it's unfair that you have to go around and say, well, I'm actually this old. Uh-huh. You know, I, mm-hmm. I someone said something to me at the grocery store one day and said, well, you don't have to worry about Medicare. And I kind of looked, and I'm like, I'm way past that. Issue. <laughs> Uh, End of story. But, you know, so it's nice when you're older, somebody thinking that you're younger, uh-huh. but when you're younger and not being treated fairly in your level of skills that's just as bad as age you yeah. know, that's ageism at the other end of the spectrum. it is and i think sorry we're going to go down here a little bit longer but um i think the industry is really interesting too because you put me or someone else my age in amazon you put us at lyft you put us in silicon valley we're probably a little old actually for their genre but you put us right. in aging and 38 which is how old i am you know is is super young and so it's just it's Age is truly just a number, um, and so it's just been a really interesting um, question that I have faced forever. And and one thing we want to talk about is getting young people in, younger people yes. into these industries. Exactly. Um, so it's never too early or too late to break in. And honestly, what ends up happening a lot of times is someone didn't even consider going into a, a mm-hmm. career in aging, and then they get here. And they have one experience and they're like, oh, my gosh, I'm hooked and this is where I need to be. And so we do see a lot of second career people or students that didn't think they wanted the placement, you know, in the aging industry. But then they got it there and then it really is this passionate um, path for them. And so the more we can get individuals outside of social services and inside them, of course, but business and therapy and counseling and whatever it is, if people can experience the aging field, um, I really do think that's going to help us grow right. the future. Right. Yeah. Well, we had the opportunity to interview your predecessor, Cindy Farson, before she left COAAA um, just in 22. It feels like it's been forever ago, but actually it's not. But um, she gave us an incredible overview of the history of Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging and the Area Agencies on Aging which are in every state of the country. Today, uh, we want to focus on the future, what's working, what's changing, your wish list. You know, However, give um, our listeners a brief overview of COAAA, again, I mean, the geographic area that's served, which is huge, um, the number of clients, programs, and funding sources uh, that were developed to meet the seniors' needs. Sure. So I have to say that uh, podcast with Cindy, I listened to before my interview. I listen to it often. Anybody that goes into Age Friendly, we tell to listen to that podcast. It's such a good one. So um, shout, shout out to, to Cindy who did a shout out fin- CF. Yes. Amazing. 28 years. I know. Yeah. Oh, I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she Yes, she's incredible. So 
Uh, the Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging serves eight counties, uh, Franklin County and all of the continuous counties around it. Uh, we serve about 15,000 individuals through our case management programs, um, whether that is our passport, our Medicaid programs, our care transitions, senior options. We actually have eight different case management programs that we run. Um, we do a lot of education. We're working on housing advocacy. We have a volunteer guardian department. Um, and then I think we'll get into it a little bit later, but there's a lot of little innovative programs that have sprung up over the last couple of years as well. So I'm, as Cindy mentioned on the last podcast, uh, we are federally mandated. So the Older Americans Act mandates that there are area agencies on aging that serve every older American. Um, but we also help a lot of individuals that are younger with disabilities as well. What What is the age with the age um the area agencies on aging, what is the age category for that federal funding? 60. 60 and up. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, everyone's a little bit different. That's a great clarifying question. Right, because, mm -hmm. yeah, we used to go through that with different funding grants that the agency, uh, my agency had. Yeah, whether we it was 65 or 60. Right, yeah, right. 60. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, Katie, you know, I'm always amazed to discover all the services that are available in our, in our community. Central Ohio has, I don't think that we're, we have more nonprofits than anybody else, but we have, um, well, I thought it was 9,000, but when Dan Sharp from the Columbus Foundation came in, it was many more, more. thousands than that oh my. in Central Ohio. So we have incredible resources. Um, the senior services have not only increased, but they've become very inventive mm -hmm. to meet the needs because it, it's our need, our notion of an older person just wanting to stay at home has cute, it's risen tremendously in mm -hmm. terms of all the moving pieces that belong there. Highlight what the other agencies that support senior services in partnership with COAAA. Let's talk about all those partnerships. Sure. Yes. And, you know, I've been on the job six months, so I'm still learning a lot of the partnerships. But in general, since I've been in the aging industry for a while, um, I can talk about a lot of our amazing partners. So when you think about aging services, it's really about this continuum. And there's so many different varying needs and, and levels of needs. Um, what's great about having so many nonprofits is they sort of spring up and fill in whatever gaps might exist, whether that's because of funding or different policies. Um, so, of course, there's the Senior Services Roundtable, which brings together all of the different agencies and provides that communication and quick information exchange. Um, Age-friendly, which we've mentioned, where it's really looking at um, how do we plan for the future? How are we researching and evidence-based and uh, growing the next generation of futures leaders in aging? Um, there's the mainstays, like Life Care Alliance, providing meals on wheels. Um, our settlement houses are incredible, serving those neighborhood-based um, folks where they're serving from kids to older adults, but really reactive to whatever the agency needs. One of our biggest partners is the Franklin County Office on Aging, so we do a ton with them. And um, when we think about neighborhood level, in addition to settlement houses, we also have villages, so those small nonprofits that are serving older adults as members that live in their neighborhood and connecting that them to different volunteers and services. So I'm sure I'm forgetting a bazillion. There's transportation partners, there's caregiver partners. Um, but what I will say is really great in Central Ohio is the way everybody works together collaboratively. Um, there's maybe a little bit of competition here and there when it comes to some funding, but for the most part, I think everyone has this great dedication to saying, 
who's the best person to fit what need to make sure that we're getting the services individuals want. Well, and I think one of the fun things, we've already been innovative in in looking at senior services is the Senior Services Roundtable, Mm -hmm. which we did a podcast on that actually a couple of years ago with Cindy and Fran Ryan. Uh, And we were really looking at that notion of there are a lot of cracks, a lot Uh of places that things fall apart, but that Senior Services Roundtable, which is a very informal group, mm-hmm. there is no structure, there are no fees, everybody can belong. And I think there's close to a thousand members in, in the group now. And it's literally an email process mm-hmm. where we just keep in contact with what's going on. And if a senior in our community needs something, usually an email goes out and literally within hours, it's taken care of. Yeah. And whether it's with the um, roundtable or the different services that we're providing at COAAA or the settlement houses, villages, what I think, um, and we'll get into this too, as we think about the future, I think we're all taking a minute and saying, what else do we need to be doing? What have we done that's worked? What have we done that's no longer working? And how do we continue to grow and evolve to meet the same mission that we've each set out to do? But within this, the new environment and the new context and challenges. So I think it'll be an interesting couple of years as we all work together to say, what else and right. what's next? And w- because over the past couple of years, we've seen what where things were, could fall apart so oh, easily. My gosh, yes. And and how we can how we can go. Um, I think one of the things that we want to do with this podcast is not only to make sure that people know there are resources out there, but people are convinced to ask for help. Yes. Ahead of time. Yes. Before it's <laughs> right. too late. Before right. it's too late. Yeah. yeah. Before it's a crisis. Yeah. You'd mentioned, you know, in regards to the challenges and issues that were met and, and changed because of COVID. Let's take a look at that. You know, COVID's, let's say it's gone. Or should, we're past that, you know, pandemic challenge. So, you know, you had to make some changes. COAAA had to make some changes. I think you're realizing what those changes are. And, you know, it happened over the last three years, almost three years. Um, what what continued to change or, you know, what maybe sped up did you see that, you know, it's like, oh, my gosh, we didn't realize we needed this, but it stuck. Okay. For, I think those types of challenges and some programs that, uh, you know, proved to be successful and all of a sudden it's like, wow, didn't know we needed this and it works even after a pandemic. Right, right. You know. Well, I'll start a little bit off by just kind of going over some of the services that COAAA put in place and as authentically as possible, I'll share because, of course, I wasn't there, but Mm -hmm. I know Mm -hmm. as a colleague how extremely stressful and how hard everyone worked to sort of stand up some of these programs. So just need to give a great shout out to the COAAA staff. Um, So during COVID-19, there was, of course, a number of different changes that happened. And so one of the mainstays for an area agency on aging is providing Title III funds or federal funds from the Older Americans Act into different service providers. And so in addition to the general funds that were given out this year, COAAA also was in charge of distributing the CARES Act funds to different agencies in town. And so there was, um, of course, a, a huge ramp up of having to get more applications in, having to get funds out, and really thinking about how do we lean out some of these processes that generally take long because now we need the money out overnight. Um, But in general, we also put together some different food assistance, including home-delivered meals, grab-and-go, carry-out. There was housing and utility assistance, legal assistance. Uh, We helped coordinate or did ourselves delivery of personal care items and some emergency kits. 
And then a lot of different um, equipment that was needed for different congregate centers or buses. You know, you think about everybody had to buy all that plexiglass and put things up. And so um, when it was related to older adults and when we had the funds, COAAA was able to push those out and really be um, flexible and saying, what do you need? Let's make this work together. Mm-hmm. Um I also want to mention when you're asking, you know, what needs to stick. So I think the thinking about food delivery in a new way and who all should qualify and what those qualification processes should be, um, we really lessened those restrictions. And I think that was great. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody is in need of food access, uh, the least restrictive way to get that to them, I think, is huge. Um, Legal assistance and financial assistance and housing assistance our housing prices are skyrocketing. The values are going to go up, which means the property taxes could go up. You know, mm-hmm. Intel's coming, growth is coming. So a lot of um, landlords are increasing prices. This housing, legal, and financial assistance is is here to stay, and it's a huge need. Um, not that it's necessarily a new concept, but I think the volume and severity of the needs is different, and that's something that will definitely stay stay within. So, Katie, when you think about the work that COAAA has accomplished, along with all the other agencies, what was your biggest surprise walking into this job, you know, positive and negative? So to work in aging, but not at COAAA, you know how incredible the agency is. It has a great reputation for a great place to work, Um, you know, good connections, good inclusivity. You know, you you hear about serving a region and serving a lot of people, and you just it just sort of sits and floats out there. And then you walk in the door, or then I walk in the door, and it is just awe-inspiring, the day-to-day incredible things that COAAA staff members do. I mean, you think about 15,000 older adults in the community, whether they're in assisted living or in their homes or an apartment complex, and just the vast array of different challenges and um, opportunities that each of those individuals experience and knowing that, you know, we're the people that are connecting with them. We're the people that are making sure they're getting what they need. Um, One of my favorite things to do is to just walk around and listen to people on the phone. And it just, I mean, this is going to sound dramatic, but I get goosebumps hearing Mm -hmm. just those day in, day out everyday regular connections that I think probably a lot of the case managers and staff there take for granted. But for me to go around and hear them is just, um, it's amazing. It's truly incredible, the work that they do. So I think that was a pleasant surprise just to be that taken aback at like the talent and the passion that goes into these everyday things. And those folks have been doing those jobs for a long time. We have some serious longevity. Yeah, yeah. Now we're about 400 employees, um, and so that's huge. But you've got a big array of individuals that have been there 10 years, 20 years. We have people that have been there 30 years. Um, And then we've got this additional sort of newer workforce, a a good amount at the other end that's been there five years or less. And so we're kind of this little microcosm of a study of what does it look like to have, you know, four generations of individuals in the same building. Um, And and age does not determine level of where you are in the hierarchy either. No, it sure doesn't. Age is yet a number, just a number. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We've had a lot of discussions, a lot of podcast episodes talking about housing and transportation, you know, that's included in our discussion or maybe the main focus all regarding seniors. Um, Do you have any additional information on programs in this area that can help out as well? 
Sure. So one of your questions earlier was about like a wish list, I think, right? And so I'm going to tie it in here and talk about the fact that if I had a couple of wishes specifically around providing services and housing and transportation, I would make the process of getting funds to support services much easier. I don't know if that's possible, but I am sort of going down that route to see what all can be tweaked or maybe modernized in terms of what's allowable through the Older Americans Act. Um, As one of the individuals who received funding and wrote one of those Tell me. Gigundus. Tell me how hard it was. Oh, it was tough. It was, it was tough. tough. And then when you get the funding, it's tough to then like put in your reporting and all of that. And you know, the spirit and the essence of the Older Americans Act funding is to get it into the community where it needs to go. So how it got from this funding needs to go to older people to the processes that you have to go through until it all the way gets down to the community level, it's just too much. And we're seeing that in terms of providers leaving the space because- there's so much administrative cost to getting these funds mm-hmm. um, that's just not worth it. And the reimbursement rates aren't necessarily increasing either, depending on what services you're providing. So um, I think in order to innovate in terms of interventions and services, we also need to be pushing some policy changes because we have just we have to be able to think outside some of the specific silos that were set up. And, and when you're mm-hmm. talking about those kinds of changes, you're really talking about Congress. Congress. Congressional changes. Yeah. Not, it's not local. It's not local. Uh, well, part of it could be local. The Ohio Administrative Code, some of it's in there. Um, but the great news is, you know, between the area agencies on aging across the state and Ohio Department of Aging, we're all at the table and talking about these things and Ohio Department of Medicaid and saying, okay, this was written at a time and it made a lot of sense and it provided a lot of good over the years. But all of a sudden now, We don't have a plethora of people providing transportation services. We don't have enough caregivers. We don't have all of the things we used to have. So how do we kind of flip it and think about getting funds into new and different programs that can serve those needs? So all that to say, I have all these little soapboxes, but anyway, so some (laughs) of the cool programs (laughs) that that I should share, um, there was a program with Lyft that was piloted a few years ago. Um, where the villages were able to tap into Lyft concierge and schedule rides for their members. They didn't have to pay. They didn't have to have Mm -hmm. the app. Um, That was a pilot project in 2019 and actually is still in existence in some of the villages. So the pilot money ran out, but they were able to identify and secure additional funds to keep that program going um, because it was so successful in making sure that older adults can get to where they need to go. There has been some expanded services through our CODA mobility office or our paratransit available in town. So they created CODA mainstream on demand. Um, and that is much like an Uber or Lyft, right, where you can schedule your ride in real time, um, except it's with their accessible fleet. So that's incredible and amazing. They also added uh, a new position for a travel trainer and mobility manager. So trying to get Uh, to our point earlier, ahead of um, maybe someone not being able to drive, but they've never taken the bus. So how do we train more people around how to take the bus or how to use the CODA app? And then they also are just hiring in there for social worker into that office too, which will be great to think about those wraparound services. So a lot of cool stuff going on there. Um, I also want to make sure I talk about Nesterly. So Nesterly is one of our favorites. (gasps) Oh, is it? Oh, have you had Francis on um, and Tamara? Uh, Francis, we covered a, a webinar 
Oh, great. We, we, their webinar on housing issues across the state. Okay. And we included that in a podcast, but we're going to bring Francis back on again. Good, good, good. Well, I think Nestor Lee is really, you know, about to just explode because mm-hmm. we're in a housing crisis. Okay. Foundational. Everybody knows that. But now that the revaluation is going to come out from the county county auditor's office and we know those values are going to go up, I think people are going to be even more financially strapped, um, unfortunately. But I think that might also open their minds into maybe this is a way that I can maintain my home, stay where I want to live, get a little extra income, maybe a little socialization. So I'm really excited to be um, in COAAA and get to sort of just tangentially watch and help where I can with Nesterly because I think that's an awesome wave of the future. And for our listeners, Nesterly is basically taking an older adult who is a homeowner and has lots of extra space in their in their home um, and giving them an opportunity to work in a safe environment to get a young person living with them paying rent. Yes. But Nesterly is the one who's coordinating a lot of the stuff in the background so the older person is not taken advantage of correct nor is the younger person yes and so it's a software where it pairs your different interests and where you want to live and potentially what you would want to pay and then what type of roommate you might want and it really um, puts it all in a safe space where there's a background check and some matching and um, even the payment goes through the system which is nice so it's not like mrs jones has to remind andrea every month that she needs to pay right so it's really I think it's like the perfect example of a um, an old idea that still works with just like a little modern twist to make it easier. And technology to support it. And, Absolutely. And keep it, keep it safe, too. Keep it right. safe. Yeah. Right. right. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Have, maybe I've missed this, but have um, health systems considered some type of transport system to help bring patients to see the doc? I think it kind of depends on which health system. I know some of them have their own buses and are picking them up from different places. I don't know that it's door to door necessarily, um, but that's certainly a space I think it could work. You would think, yeah, with Mm -hmm. with all the, it would keep older adults healthier, right, in an easier way, and kind of put the onus on the health systems slash insurance probably. But at the same time, they're there. I mean, if if that. Older adult is going to the doctor, they're going to be healthier, and it's going to cost the insurance company and the health system less. Oh, I'm going to paint a little picture for a second. Is that okay? Sure, absolutely. An older adult goes into the hospital, and before they're discharged, um, they realize that they have a certain insurance, and COAAA has a contract with that insurance. So then we enact what we call our care transitions program, where we have an individual reach out and talk to them. What do you have at your house? What do you need? Then when they do go home, our registered nurses go out, check on the pills, make sure they got their prescriptions, remind them of when their follow-up appointments are. And then in a perfect world, this person also lives in a neighborhood with a village. And so then they call the village to say, hey, you've got three follow-up appointments. Let's make sure that this individual gets all of that care. And by the way, you know, they don't need Meals on Wheels yet, but they need a hel- little help. Could you send a volunteer over to uh, make some soup and store it in their fridge or whatever, right? So that's an example of a COAAA system, a hospital system, an insurance system, and a village 
all very separate, but working together to make sure that there's this holistic approach to providing what's needed. Right, mm-hmm. right. Well, you know, I want to step back, too, and talk about CODA, the mobility system. And God love CODA. You know, everybody complains, but I would not want their job. <laughs> Needless to yeah. say, I love CODA. Well, it, everybody wants everything, and they want it now, and they want it True. perfect, and, and they want it cheap. Um, and I wouldn't want to have to come up with ways to make that happen. But when you're... We were we had a great podcast with our friend from Morpsey, and Thea is always giving us some updates on Coda. Great. One of the things that they're working on is that whole notion of workers getting out to Intel and other companies mm-hmm. to support that process to get our because we don't have a pipeline because we don't have workers who can who have transportation to get to the employer. Well, some of those workers could be. 50 or 60 and over. Absolutely. Because you're not looking at heavy lift type positions. Mm-hmm. Um, lots and lots of things that could be could be done in any of those new um, industries. Y- you know, so when we're talking about mobility, it's not just because somebody needs physical help or caregiving. Right. Um, older adults have lots of other stuff that's on their plate and working is one of them. Yeah. Well, and, you know, mobility challenges exist for all of us across the age span, right? So um, I have mobility challenges when it comes to getting my kids to and from where they need to go sometimes, right? Yes, like exactly. Or somebody injures themselves or, you know, who knows what it could be. But I think sometimes we, we think about these mobility challenges and sort of these different um, silos, to use that word again. Um, and really, if we kind of take a step back, there's a lot of commonalities around these different mm-hmm. mobility challenges we might need. Um, so if we just sort of think differently, you know, how how much more supportive that would be. So if I could add one more thing to my wish list, now there would be a long list, but I'll keep it succinct for today. But I would love for us to be able to secure funding to create a new housing department, um, a new housing coalition. I don't know what it would be, but essentially as housing continues to be a challenge and we know there aren't enough available units that are quote unquote affordable, we certainly don't have enough that are low or extremely low income. Um, There's a lot of space that's needed for advocacy in between um, all of the different things that are available. So for example, whether you're staying in your home, you're staying in your apartment or you're in an affordable housing complex, Um, You might be stuck in place, right, because I want to move, but I can't move because there's nowhere else to go. And depending on where you are, they might know that. And so you might have a leak or the power goes out or the heat goes out, but there isn't really enough advocacy and, and push from an outside entity to say we need to be making sure that our current housing is accessible, affordable, um, providing you everything that you need. And so I would safe, safe. Yes, absolutely. So I would love to be able to come up with some funding or some ways that we could sort of have this um, force of individuals that are out there. And it's really about just advocating and making sure that when there are challenges, they have a place to call and that there's some sort of meat behind it to be able to say, excuse me, you know, XYZ company, we know that your heat has been off for two days, or um, we know that there's mold over here. So I think that's the one piece that's missing right now, um, or at least isn't strong enough right now. Right. Well, we had, you were with us with with um, Franklin County Auditor Stenziano to talk about the issues that had arisen because of the housing crisis where older adults were becoming um, trapped in a home that they couldn't afford the increasing 
tax rate. Right. And so it, in that particular case, they own the house. But what it, what do we have any clue how many of our seniors are living in rental or, as you said, uh, housing um, complexes that are very dependent on the owner landlord to take care of their house, their their living environment? Well, as far as a statistic goes, I don't have that off the top of my head, but I would imagine it's a lot. So the affordable housing that we have, much of it was built a long time ago. And so Mm -hmm. the different maintenance needs um, can be really expensive. And so, you know, we often have these calls coming in from different folks living in different uh, complexes saying, you know, the elevator's out or again, the heat is out, the power's out. So it's a space that we're sort of stuck between a rock and a hard place, right? right? Like. We can't lose the affordable housing that we have, but we also need to make sure the affordable housing we have is adequate and safe. Isn't there some rulings now where new uh, housing complexes are required to have so many units that are low income? I think it's affordable. I don't know if it's low income, but affordable Affordable. meaning it's like average market rate. Right. Wouldn't that be wonderful if there was also a requirement to have units that were affordable for seniors it would be amazing affordable for a family where possibly both parents are working may be very different from a senior who's on a fixed income of social security which is not that high right right Mm -hmm. so there you go there's the idea that's it okay and Mm -hmm. that's where you're going to get the funding for that housing coalition exactly i do come up with these ideas (laughs) i know and i do need to say there's amazing people working in affordable housing but specifically around older adults and sort of this emerging need is where i think we can lean in well, a bit more. And, and given the fact that Franklin County is aging, yes, um, it's probably the least aging of the counties in Ohio, but your other seven counties that you're working with, age age rates are likely increasing. They, yeah, across across every county. Now, rural Ohio is aging faster. Right. Um, but yeah, the affordable housing challenge is not definitely not just in Franklin County. It's right. in all the counties. Right, right. Oh, yeah, some are, are very high. Yes. um, Okay. We're going to pivot a little bit here. Okay. Let's start thinking future. 2023 is, we are are hitting the ground running in 2023, needless to say. Um, What were you able to accomplish in 22 and how are you now set for 23? Plans that are developed, new programming, staffing, funding, millions of dollars coming in too bad you're not getting the lottery money i know i know (laughs) i keep playing and i keep not winning yeah um so okay you know when you take a new job and you feel like you've really got it when you know how to print and you can like get in the building right so okay and you remember your password and you remember remember the password exactly and your new email address yes yes so um those have been accomplished thanks to the <laughs> amazing successes for 2022. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, keeping the bar low for myself. Um, <laughs> in all seriousness, though, you know, just meeting everyone in an agency of 400, I mean, it's just a lot of people and um, sort of overwhelming when you're like the newbie, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I have been trying to take a lot of time and effort to do various ways of engaging and meeting staff. So I've been hosting coffee chats where I bring in coffee and anybody can come down and just say whatever. If it's good, if it's bad, if it's ideas. Mm -hmm. I should get donuts. Mm -hmm. Okay, when you come, I'll get donuts. Deal. There's Tim Hortons right by us. There you go. Um, And then I've been doing shadowing. So 
I started basically what I was calling like follow the referral. So I started at the front desk. And how, what is it like to answer phone calls? And mm-hmm. oh my gosh, they answer between four and 5,000 phone calls a month, a month. And then I followed a referral into our screening process. What departments might people need to be transferred to? Then to the assessment process when we go out and see is someone um, – We assess them to make sure they are able to join one of our programs. So now I'm spending time in each of the programs to understand the differences between case management for Aetna, for Molina, for Passport, for Senior Options. So I'm trying to really understand the agency from all these different angles, which for me has been extremely helpful in um, just kind of grasping the enormity of what we do, as well as meeting people. So um, for me, that's been a big accomplishment is just building trust and showing up and making sure that people know that I'm here because I care about the mission um, and that I really want to be someone that they feel they can come to and that is supportive of what they do. Mm -hmm. So not that there's any like key performance indicators that I can put around those 2022 accomplishments, but I do feel pretty proud about doing that. Um, And, you know, Cindy's legacy is it cannot be underestimated. I mean, the mm-hmm. people that are within the walls, the people that are in the community across the nation, statewide. Um, so part of what I also need to do is just learn even more about someone who I, you know, call a close mentor and friend and who has meant so much to me, but really learning some of the intricacies of what she did and what made her so successful so that either I can emanate those or if there are skills that I didn't have that I can find some people and bring them in to make sure that I don't, um, screw things up, right? Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Well, and it, I mean, it, it being the director of that agency isn't just being the you know taking care of operations. No. You're you're looking at a political level, mm-hmm. the funding level, mm-hmm. um, the outreach engagement level around the community. Correct. Um, and so, yeah, but Cindy had the um, luxury. She won't appreciate me saying this, but the luxury of sort of growing into the size of the agency. Yeah. I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. Right. You know, for 28 years, it grew around her. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, what, well, what it looked and, like 28 years ago, we don't know. I mean. Right. Right. And and truly, COAAA went through a huge change and increase in staff not that long ago. 2014. Right. Mm-hmm. With, the, with the changes in Medicare Medicaid in the state of Ohio Correct. around the Affordable Care Act. Mm-hmm. So that it was huge, huge, and she built that. But now suddenly you're sort of walking into um, the forest, yeah, and, yeah. and trying to see past the trees. And mm-hmm. not only a forest, but like a flourishing, gorgeous, incredible forest. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I yeah. need to make sure that I'm doing you know as much as I can to learn as quickly as I can to do this place justice because, you know, it it just is this incredible place. Um, and I will say another piece of what I'm trying to do, especially in 23, as I listen and we think about, you know, what are some of our core themes that we want to work on and putting some action steps in there and listening to staff about how we can accomplish that, but also understanding how did COAAA evolve and grow um, in response to the different demands that occurred over those 28 years and even before that, right? And so then what are the different changes in the environment that are happening now or that I foresee that I can learn from those methods and continue to evolve the agency to go where it needs to go to be successful? Well, so far, the Older Americans Act has been 
um, safe. Consistent. Mm-hmm. And consistent. Mm-hmm. Not increasing dramatically mm-hmm. based Not increasing on dramatically. Yeah, yeah based on i mean just the number of baby boomers coming through it's not been really added to with the number of people that you have now suddenly are serving um and that's not going to change there are going to be more and more people who are going to be in need right right um do, do we have any clue as to what's going on with the older americans act i think it was just re-upped not long ago I don't know that there's many changes occurring right now, but I know there's a groundswell of um, advocacy and putting data together to help push forward some potential um, changes that we think need to occur. Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about putting data together, that is not easy. It's not easy. Um, It's not easy, but it is part of the future. Right. You need someone to come in that understands how to speak data and how to put it into a story that can then support what you need. So you really when you're talking about uh, the issues of data, that's not easy. Caregiving in Ohio and specifically in central Ohio has nothing to do with the model of caregiving in Dayton, let alone Denver. Right. Um, So to do that on a national level. Mm -hmm is going to be a huge challenge to create and a huge challenge then to fill the data points. Absolutely. Whether it's caregiving or transportation or housing or education, whatever the next the current intervention or the new interventions that need to be uh, created, we need to have the data to support it. That's just where we're headed. And um, I think that will be a really interesting concept in 2023 that we will put a lot of time and effort into understanding what are our data needs, what kinds of data do we have, and then how do we put those two together to package up and tell our story. If I remember correctly, the SAMS program, which Mm -hmm. is the database of information on not just for older adults, but literally for services to... Across Ohio. Across Mm -hmm. Ohio. Mm -hmm. When they first told me about the SAMS program, and I was always very... I think I said something to the board about if we'd have to do SAMS, I'm quitting. Um, It was like 600 pieces of data per person. I don't know the exact numbers, but I know it's actually called WellSky now um, or SAMS is robust (laughs) Um, and not necessarily as efficient or easy as individual organizations providing these important services wishes it would be. Right. Well, before we end, we ask guests if they have any last words of wisdom they'd like to add. You know the routine. You've been on this podcast before. So any words of wisdom as we end? I have new words of wisdom. All right. (gasps) I have new ones. Okay. So we are entering this era where so many pioneers and important individuals in human services and social services are retiring. And so this one goes out to all the new leaders um, taking over some of those roles. So my wisdom is if you're stepping into a new leadership role and sort of taking the baton from someone that has been there a long time and holds a legacy to be patient Um, to listen to those around you and give yourself grace and time to really learn what the history and legacy was about. Um, And then as you start to plan sort of your own time and what it might look like for you, then you can incorporate that respect for the past um, and build it into your future. And I think that really will help with different buy-in as this sort of next wave of leaders comes into these positions. Wonderful. Katie, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Many thanks to Katie White 
Agency Director for the Central Ohio Area Agency on Aging for joining us today. Listeners, thank you for joining us. And do not forget to check our show notes for contact information for Katie and and COAAA, as well as all the other resources that we're going to include. Go to our website at lookingforwardourway.com. We are looking forward to hearing your feedback on this and any of our podcast episodes. 